0: As Trinity Episcopal Midtown family continues conversations surrounding racism, we would like to thank each and every one of you for your contributions to this podcast series. Our goal is not to debate whether or not racism or white privilege exists, but rather simply to share our individual experiences and to work to find ways we can address racism, both personally and professionally. We believe this can be accomplished through the exchange of open, meaningful, and respectful conversations surrounding anti-racism. We believe that collectively and as Christians, we can work proactively toward identifying and opposing practices, structures, and systems that enable racism to flourish and exist in our world. It is our hope that through this work, we can achieve a greater understanding of social justice, which is simply allowing all persons equal access to the benefits and freedoms of a society, and to also be free from the unequal distribution of its burdens.
1: My name is George. I live in Houston with my husband and I'm white. I grew up in a racially mixed neighborhood and went to a racially mixed school. I knew that kids came in different colors. And I also knew that at heart, we were basically the same and that we played the same games, got in the same kinds of arguments with our siblings, sometimes followed the rules, but more often than not, broke the rules. Race and racism were things we never talked about. A topic just never came up in conversation. But early on, I noticed that The black kids seem to always get in trouble for doing the same things the white kids got away with. I noticed that almost all the people being arrested on the news were black. All the bad guys in movies and stories were black. There never seemed to be any black kings or heroes or princesses. And that's just the way things were. And that didn't really make a lot of sense. My story takes place when I was five years old in kindergarten. It was picture day, and all the kids were dressed up in little suits and dresses. We had laid down for nap time, and I, rem- I remember being on my mat as close to underneath the teacher's desk as she would allow. Miss Moore, that was our teacher, turned the lights off and put on the nap time music, and most of the kids fell asleep. Well, that day, I noticed a loose thread on my pants. And I looked at the thread, and the thread looked back at me, and I found myself touching it, and then pulling it just a little bit to see what would happen. It came loose, and of course created a small tear in the fabric. So I pulled at it again, and again, and again, fascinated by the way the threads came apart so easily. It was weird. Soothing, hypnotic in a way, and by the time naptime was over, the fabric was reduced to shreds. Miss Moore turned on the room lights, exposing a crime which was sure to result in punishment from both her and my mom. Staring at my bare, white leg, I turned to a little boy named Jermaine, who was still asleep on his mat. And in between crying... I shouted out, Jermaine did it, Jermaine did it. Well, why did I blame this boy? I can tell you why I blamed him. It was because he was black. And I knew that nobody would question me. I remember Miss Moore grabbing this little boy and shaking him. And she dragged him into the bathroom, and you could hear her slapping him just over and over, screaming at him for hurting a white kid. I remember Germain pleading with her to stop. He didn't know why he was being punished. And when she finally told him, he proclaimed his innocence, but she just kept slapping him. And I remember Germain in his little suit, now wrinkled, with the jacket hanging down, stumbling over to the chalkboard where the teacher wrote down which kids had been bad that day. And in shaky handwriting, he wrote a large J because he didn't yet know all his letters. And I think back about why I blamed this child. At five years old, I knew that the easiest way of escaping punishment was to blame a black child. I knew that nobody would question a white child, despite the overwhelming evidence that Jermaine could not possibly have torn my clothes up. I knew, even at age 5, that I could use my white privilege to escape punishment and get a black kid in trouble. And I knew the consequences of this. I knew Jermaine would get spanked. I knew he would get hurt. And for a long time I tried so hard to convince myself that I was right. What did it matter that I had lied when A racially biased system had already decided long ago that black boys were bad. I kept this lie up until around middle school. I had a piano teacher named Mrs. Sorrell. She was a teacher at my old elementary school and had known me since I was maybe about four. Mrs. Sorrell was black and she was very outspoken about racial equality. Well, one day after a piano lesson... I finally confessed to her what had really happened all those years ago, and Mrs. Sorrell, she told me that that this was so long ago, and there's nothing that can be done about it except to use the experience to acknowledge and challenge my own biases. That conversation, that confession, brought up a lot of emotions and a lot of questions. How many times had I engaged in subtle forms of racism? How could I respond better in the future? I've worked in public education for almost all of my adult life and in, this, in the time have really come to see the systemic racism against black children that exist in public education. Black boys are disproportionately suspended, expelled, even arrested in school. The school-to-prison pipeline funnels thousands of young black men into the criminal justice system before they've even had a chance to live. How many more germains have to suffer before we see a real change? I see this racism all the time at work, both subtle and overt, and it's become easier over the years to speak up and to use my privilege to support black children. And I'm glad that these difficult conversations about racial equality in public education are happening. And I'm hopeful that we will continue to see changes in how educators and administrators treat their black children.
2: Hello, everyone. Hi, George. Thank you so much for sharing this powerful story. My hope is that you have forgiven yourself and that Jermaine is doing well in his life. You know, contrary to popular culture, there is a belief that young children are colorblind or that they don't notice race. According to current psychological research, children not only recognize race from a very young age, but they also develop racial biases by ages three to five that do not necessarily resemble the racial attitudes of adults. This same study found that environments play an important role in teaching young children which categories seem to be important, and that children learn to attach meaning to those social categories on their own without adult instruction. So in other words, children pick up on the ways in which whiteness is normalized and privileged in U.S. society. So I believe uh, that for these reasons, This would very likely explain why at five years old, you elected to blame the young African-American child, Jermaine, for tearing up your clothes, because at that young age, you obviously knew that he would get in trouble and be punished and not you. Let's bow our heads and pray for God's blessings. God of peace, we pray for our communities, for our teachers and those in positions of authority, for our children, for our schools, for our neighborhoods and workplaces. Kindle in every heart a desire for equality, respect, and opportunity for all your children. Give us courage to strive for justice and peace among all people, beginning here at home. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. We want to thank you all so much for tuning in to our ongoing series on Racism Revealed. We are winding down our series now, and We welcome you to join us for our final segment next week on Monday, September 21st, 2020 at 12 noon as my wife and I conclude this series. Thank you all so much for joining us. And until then, take care of yourselves and each other. May God bless each of you and keep you safe.